0: You are listening to the Cast.
1: High-performance climbing apparel that looks so cool on your Instagram can look notoriously out of place when you're back in real life amongst the civvies in the valley below. Just so you know, while you're waiting in line for your frothy mochaccino, bright orange pants pretty much say, I just escaped from prison. Enter Black Diamond's new forged denim pants. The Cordura blended denim stretches when you need it, fends off sharp crystals and rough rock, and looks great back at work with just enough chalk dust to let other climbers in the office know that you are training at lunch, you sick bird. So if you want to feel good, look good on the rock and when mingling with lowlanders, like an undercover climbing super agent, then go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop and rub up against a pair of forged denim pants from Black Diamond. Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the EnormaCast. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That out. of time. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, so it out. 2000? I'll say. You so really
0: should. Run. Run.
1: Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. we will make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later. Anytime.
0: Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes.
1: And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the NormaCast.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Galus. It is about 2 o'clock In the afternoon here in Colorado, on June 14th, 2019, and this is episode 177 of the EnormaCast, a conversation with boulderer, sport climber, and comp climber, Allison Vest. So I was excited to get a show done with Allison. Allison is a sort of newly sponsored Black Diamond athlete, so I had a kind of inroad with her, and I'm always looking to have more women on the show, as well as talk to some comp climbers. Because I don't talk to comp climbers very often. I don't know how to talk to them. I got to figure it out every single time. Much more intimidating than talking to legends like Peter Croft and whatnot for me, just out of my wheelhouse. So that was cool. Also, she's Canadian, you know, always good to have more Canadians on the show. Although she was born in Minnesota. So I think we can kind of claim her as well. So I took a trip up to Salt Lake to get this one done. Black Diamond was having their athlete summit, a bunch of awesome athletes getting together, but it turns out I'd actually interviewed most of those people already um, over the years, even before they were with Black Diamond. So I wanted to sit down with Allison and, you know, Black Diamond was cool. They're like, come on up, let's do this. And then they tried to stick me in the basement in a room with a bunch of wires sticking out of the walls and people clomping around above and literally a bunch of servers next door, just like humming away. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. So we sort of tromped around and couldn't really find a place where there wasn't a bunch of manic work going on. So I ended up sitting outside on a picnic table in the parking lot, which uh, proved to be a little bit challenging because even though there's a lot of productivity going on inside, you know, people just come and go from their jobs at Black Diamond like, whatever lunch before lunch after lunch walking their dog getting their bike ready all these sorts of things so anyway there's a bit of background noise in this one nothing to worry about really but what i realized too is that the bane of all podcasters existences whether you're inside or not if you're in an urban setting or even just like a town somewhere are garbage trucks because if you're not in like a fully soundproof studio and granted I was outside but even at home sometimes I get the freaking garbage truck goes by and then of course they back up and it's like beep 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 and of course Miles the normal baby loves it but it's a pain in the ass for recording things and uh they're everywhere you don't realize how garbage trucks are just crawling all over your town every day 24 hours a day until you start to try to record something so listen for the beep 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 of the uh, garbage truck also we had a little wind on the mics but Barely any, just a couple spots. Ah, yes, the podcaster making excuses for his sound production. Not cliche at all. Okay, let me tell you about Allison. Allison is, uh, again, Canadian boulder, Canadian comp climber. She was the bouldering national champion in 2018. And, and this is cool, she literally left just moments after doing this interview to go to the Canadian nationals, for lead climbing, and uh, she won. So uh, there you go, a normal bump in effect. I mean, it has to be right directly there, and she wins. You guys can decide. The normal bump is either a boost or it's fatal. It's just that black and white. So right on, let's get to it. I'm I'm rushing off to uh, to go climbing this weekend. Got to get going. Got to get out of here. Got to go pack. So uh, get to go climbing. a Weekend warrior, full effect. Hope you guys are too, and uh, let's get to the interview with Allison Vest. Sportiva pretty much invented the downturned shoe with the introduction of the Testarossa ages ago. Too radical, cried the old. That looks like it hurts, cried the fearful. Ooh, me likey, whispered a prepubescent Jonathan Seagrist. And guess who went on to set the climbing world on fire in his testes? Hint, it wasn't Grandpa Flatfoot waving his hexes around and mumbling gear bait at a stump. And soon every company followed suit and steep climbs opened up to the masses. Now Sportiva took the venerable Testerosa and under the direction of some of the best climbers in the world did a redesign. The new Testerosa sports better heel hooking security and the famous P3 tech to help retain that downturn fit. So check out how the radical just got more radical at sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the NormaCast. So where are you based out of?
0: Uh, right now I'm based out of Vancouver, B.C. Okay. So the, the cousin of Squamish.
1: Nice. Yeah. And you, um, you're Canadian.
0: I am Canadian. I'm actually, I was born in the U.S. I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. Um, and then my family moved to Canmore, Alberta when I was eight. Really? My dad got a job working in, uh, in wildlife conservation, so I grew up in the in the Rockies in Canmore, and then uh, headed out west uh, to go to university. Actually, just graduated in April.
1: So Canmore strikes me. I've spent a lot of time there, and it strikes me as one of those towns that no one is from. But uh, here yeah, you are. Yeah,
0: yeah. Here I, you know, here I am. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I'm enjoying living in the city right now, just because mm-hmm. Canmore as amazing as as it is for you know, rock and mountain sports and getting outside. It is a bit of a bubble culturally. So I'm really enjoying actually living in Vancouver and having that diversity and culture and arts and a lot more going on. But I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's a, it's an incredible place to grow up. Canmore. Yeah. Lots going on people all over the place psyched to get out and do, you know, a plethora of mountain activities. Right.
1: So was that part of your upbringing then? And and yeah in terms of climbing and things like that. Yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, I was just talking to uh Sunny trotter earlier cuz he lives there now with his family and he's trying to raise kids there. So it was interesting to talk to him as somebody who had been raised in that environment. Like mm-hmm. I um it definitely motivated me as a high performance athlete. Uh Canmore has one of the highest um proportion of Yeah, so in Canmore you're constantly just passing Olympians on the trail or I used to babysit for a, you know, Olympic gold medal skier and it's really motivating in motivating in that sense of high performance sport. So uh, it seems like there's sort of two avenues that people who grow up in Canmore take, they either become high performance athletes doing whatever they're doing or they're out, you know, doing the most extreme things in the mountain. It's right. sort of no sort of one mediocre. way or the other. Yeah. No one's in the middle. It's really, it's very elitist. Mediocre people yeah. be- beat it. It's really hard to do right. like recreational sport there. You'll be right. like, I'll try cross-country skiing today, and then you'll get passed by somebody who's in a sit ski without legs. Like right. that's, you know, sort of the the culture in Canmore is definitely a, it's a, it's a it's a little bit elitist, but it's more just high performance, and people uh-huh. are really people are really pushing the limits there, right? Almost on a daily basis. So it's an inspiring place to grow up.
1: And so let's go through a little bit of what got you into climbing, then, and then. That's a pretty typical place to start here. Yeah, yeah. And then the crossover, too, to, to making it super serious.
0: Yeah, so I, uh, when I was four or five years old, I think in preschool, I would be climbing on the outside of the jungle gym and come home with my hands bleeding, and my parents would have to send me to preschool with my hands taped. And so eventually they were just, you know, God, I gotta find something to do with this kid, get mm-hmm. an outlet for this energy. And so I think my dad just, you know, quick Google, search for climbing gym and started doing some summer camps and birthday parties in minnesota Minnesota, actually actually yeah and then when we moved to canmore got connected with the local climbing gym there and uh yeah and i think the the youth coach there saw i was psyched and invited me to join the youth team when i was about nine or so and i quit for one year when i was 14 and decided i wanted to become a dancer
1: Uh uh-huh that's reasonable
0: yeah super reasonable uh, apparently it's not reasonable to become a dancer starting at 14. Right. So that was
1: a hill. quick
0: slip slap in the face. So like what kind bit of, of a dancer, reality like ballet? Chick. Well, a little bit of ballet, a little bit of hip hop, uh-huh. some musical theater action. And then, uh, and then, and then I was over it Okay. and, and came, ru- came, came back running back, back. to climbing. Yeah. <laughs> it so. seemed like
1: too, too sort of too late and too big a hill to climb.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think climbing was always, uh. Climbing was always where my heart is, was at, how, I, how are
1: your dance chops these days?
0: Ooh, yeah, you know I like to keep those a bit under wraps. Oh, maybe. really? Yeah, yeah. You know, they sometimes they they come busting out and you least expect it, uh-huh. but you know, okay, a bit of a confidential situation there for sure. All
1: right, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. Uh, what what is it that made your family move to Canmore? That's kind of a curious move.
0: Uh, it is a curious from the, move. So from Minnesota, yeah. So interestingly enough, my dad when he was maybe late teens, early twenties hitchhiked from, where he's from in Wisconsin. He hitchhiked all the way to Banff, Alberta to downhill ski. He was big into downhill skiing. And he, so he was there when he was a young 20 something year old and and loved it and fell in love with the mountains and the, the energy there. And um, I think he sort of always wanted to go back and he grew up and ended up getting really into conservation. And he, he sort of got his, his dream job working in uh the, parks trying to connect the wildlife corridors from yellowstone national park all the way up to the yukon and it was oh, okay. what he had always wanted to do based at a canmore where he always wanted to live and so they my parents decided to make the move and wow, the plan nice. was to stay for a year and you know we're still here so yeah there's they still live there right yeah.
1: so you moved over to um to the west coast to go to university i did and that, that was it was that like Oh, I got into the school or was it more of like a conscious move well,
0: to again, get
1: away from the little town a little bit? And-
0: <laughs> again, I kind of I kind of skirted over one small detail. Oh, okay. I went to my first year of university in Edmonton, Alberta, which is in northern Alberta, mm-hmm. sort of in the prairies. Sure. Sounds- and uh, I mean, it, it was fine, but it was a little bit suffocating. I felt like it was hard to hard to get out. There's really no mountains around and going from a place like Canmore where you're just. You know, you wake up every morning and get to look at these staggeringly beautiful snow-covered peaks to being right in the middle of a city with sort of no escape was um a bit of a shock. So I went there for one year, and then I took a year off and just bummed around
1: and did some Plus, climbing. Looks like, cameras kind of downright balmy.
0: probably. Yeah, no, it's, this. I mean, it was, Edmonton, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to hate on Edmonton. I don't want to get, you know angry emails written no, don't worry if there's any climbers, the Edmonton climbers. <laughs> well, if
1: there's any climbers that live in Edmonton who listen to this which I know there are actually quite frankly they'd be like oh one of these days I want to move to Camor. so yeah, yeah no I it's, mean, totally it's true. okay to lament where you live in terms of climbing because
0: yeah yeah but anyway I yeah I had a hard time there so I took a year off and then uh, so
1: that was more of an issue of like that was a school you, it just worked it seemed like it worked on paper or something Yeah
0: like yeah that. well I had, I had a full scholarship to that okay. school too so it was For what? uh it was just just an academic scholarship oh, cool. from from my from high, my high school years right so that was also a motivator obviously Yeah. school's expensive but I also don't think I was quite ready to go like I didn't really know I was really um caught up in not knowing what I wanted to do with my life mm-hmm. and where I wanted to go and um so I sort of just went to Edmonton for the heck of it and that was definitely, Edmonton's definitely not a place to just go for the heck of it. People there, <laughs> <laughs> you sort of need a little bit of direction if right. you want to make it right. living in Edmonton.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. I've thought about, when I went to college out of high school, it was it was an escape from, from Illinois and I wanted to go to Colorado and it was a way to get to Colorado. Yeah. Was just, but since then and, and knowing a lot of people, it just this whole like gap year idea that I think uh, is pretty big and, and popular in Europe, um, I think it can be wasted, but it's also maybe a good opportunity for for certain people.
0: Absolutely, I think yeah. it's super important. I sort of so I sort of took a gap yeah, year. Yeah, so you I took a gap doing, year.
1: What have you been? But, what were you up to?
0: Uh, I went. I actually went on a climbing trip for three months to oh. Southeast Asia. So I was All saving right. up, working for that, and then we went to China, Vietnam, Cambodia laos thailand type situation Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it was well it was sort of a horrible trip (laughs) i I wish i had an interesting story for you
1: i mean (laughs) horrible is interesting it was
0: okay it was very interesting (laughs) it's a very interesting story it was terrible everything went wrong it was not it was not enjoyable i came home and was like okay now i need a vacation like it was uh is
1: it terrible went wrong you can tell us about it oh yeah. yeah well i got
0: man just right, so hold, hold on s- Whoa, i'm, wait, wait, I'm wait, gonna wait, come back need to some direction hor- here yeah, yeah i'm gonna come
1: back to your horrible all right, story because right. horrible is super interesting okay um uh, success man, I, is actually way more whoo. boring than horrible but l- let me frame you as a climber at this point okay um you know climbing in canmore were you in the gym and outdoors what what did it what kind of climber were you is, is a kind hard. of a I mean, classic enormous cast yeah question.
0: i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of people in Canmore. Another thing that happens a lot in Canmore is it's, it's a lot of families with a lot of money who um, can afford to pay for their kids to do this and that and compete in this sport and compete in that sport and do all these different things. And, um, you know, I had a lot of support from my parents, but, it, you know, you only have so much funding as your family can provide. So for a lot of my older years, um, I was mostly only in the gym, which seems a little bit counterintuitive because you're in Canmore around some of the most incredible rock in the world um but i was i really i'm a very competitive person and mm-hmm. that's sort of where i wanted all of my energy to be focused was to be successful competing in canada and internationally and uh i uh i was always doing well in canada but never never the best of the best you know i wasn't winning every competition i entered i would come you know i'd win and then i'd come third and then i would come second and then fifth and then so it was sort of all over the place and while that was a little bit demoralizing at the time i think it's what's kept me around for so long sort of hungry for that that breakthrough moment but it was hard to afford to do competitions if uh if your your family didn't necessarily have the funding for it so most of my time in camera was was either was working and then training and sort of doing the two of those things back to back and trying to make it work um so that i could get to the competitions that i was so uh desperate to do well at <laughs> well
1: you you i mean again we're, we're talking about this town all these mountain sports but having spent some time there it's got a pretty short outdoor climbing season it actually is, is, one, is one thing um i don't remember and this was mm, you know 15 years ago the bouldering scene there the outdoor bouldering scene you know the 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 limestone blocks they're either not there or they're not conducive. So, I mean, it does have its some yeah. limitations in terms of climbing outdoors yeah. as well. It's more of like a go out and... There's sport climbing, but then the big roots are scary and involved. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you, you kind of can't yeah. do both if you want to be good at...
0: No, the absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people are people are gung-ho in Camar. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it'll, you know, it'll be nice for half a second and people will be rushing outside to get on the... You know, if I'm fully honest with you, I'm a fairly fair weather climber as mm-hmm. far as it goes i'm not into the not yeah no, so, so i'm not i'm not a sufferfest climber for okay. sure but i think i remember i one time when i was about 18 i went climbing with uh, a couple of uh, guys that i trained with at the gym and they were super psyched to go and we woke up the morning we were ready to go climbing and it had just snowed like three feet of like there was so much snow on the ground and they were like we're going doesn't right. matter we're going so i was like i you know i was like all right well okay. So I went, I went with them and I was halfway, I was halfway up. I was like, yeah, halfway up some sport climb and i start looking at the rock and there's just blood all over the rock. And I remember thinking, where is this coming from? And I realized I couldn't feel my hands. And I looked down and my entire palm was gone. Like it was just like one huge and I looked down in my hand and I, you know, yelled at this dude to lower me. And he was like, "No, come on, you got it." And I was like, "No, you need to, you need to bring me down right, right. now." And I got down and I had to hold a sock, my because we didn't have any first aid because we were eighteen. And so I just held my sock and walked out, so my hand would stop bleeding. And I remember actively thinking, I will never again. Well, you're just thinking too like never again am I doing. How's my training
1: schedule now that I've got this giant scab palm? Like how's my sloper training gonna go? Exactly.
0: Most of the time I end up thinking Mm -hmm. if I hurt myself doing something probably kind of stupid, and then I can't train, and I therefore I can't do that next competition, I would never forgive myself. So it's a sort of intense mentality, but Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, if you're going to be good at it, you got to be focused and you've got, you know, just like you're dancing. I mean, really, you've got this window uh, in terms of age and body and everything else that this is the time. And and I mean, you you really honestly, if you want to become some sort of outdoor, you know, rad outdoor climber, you've got a lot more space, I think, later for that.
0: Well, this week, I mean, this week we're here at this summit, but there's a few of us who are trying to train for competitions through it. And this morning, Sean Bailey and I got up at, my alarm went off at 530 so we could get to the gym at six to train before all the meetings started. Uh And I had to, I mean, I was kicking Sean Bailey's bed, trying to get him out of bed. And eventually we like stumbled our way into the gym and uh, a bunch of other, the other guys on the team were like, damn, you you guys are motivated. And I think I just, (laughs) I just turned to him and I said, you know, it's not really motivation anymore. It's sort of an obsessive compulsive thing. Like you don't, Sometimes you don't wake up wanting to go to train. It's just like you know it's what you need to do. And so it's sort of this, yeah, I guess this like neurotic compulsion that gets you to the gym, not necessarily motivation. I mean, some days it's motivation, but other days it's, you know, you got to do what you got to do and you got to make the time even if it's at 530 in the morning.
1: Well, that I think would be the thing that divides you from all of the rest of us is that I would just stay in bed. (laughs) I mean, it's simple I mean, among other things, but, but in terms of that, like, you know, motivation is, I think only, you know, fills in some of the gaps. Like you have to make it this routine yeah. if you're going to be good enough. Are you, is there something right on the horizon here that you're training for at this moment? So
0: I actually, I leave tomorrow for the Canadian lead nationals. Oh, okay. So I'm ducking out a bit early from here okay. to uh, head to Montreal
1: okay. for lead nationals. Yeah. Okay. So that's. Your your climbing world it, it, at the moment is is roughly indoor climbing training for competitions, mm-hmm. and you just said the lead uh, the lead comp uh, is that your main discipline, or are you? All I actually over?
0: prefer prefer bouldering. Okay, you are bould. That's but, what I thought, but yeah, but I I uh, I do like lead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of hard with the seasons crossing. I'm I'm basically heading to lead nationals in bouldering shape because okay. it's in the middle of the IFSC bouldering World Cup. It just sort of schedules. Didn't totally work out. Ended Mm, up that way. Compression sleeves. Yeah, exactly. I just climb really fast. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, just gonna go see what happens. I guess, but it's kind—it's kind of a nice way to go into a competition, not having trained for months for it. It's—it's—it's hard to put eight months of grueling effort into something and and have it the result be dependent on one boulder. Or five boulders or five mm-hmm. minutes, like it's 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 vulnerable to put yourself out on the line like that. So it's sort of a, a relief to be going into a lead competition in bouldering shape because uh, yeah, almost like nothing to lose. Doesn't have the same pressure as it does when you train really hard for
1: something. So. Okay, well that's now. So we skipped up to now, but I we I want to go back to your horrible trip. So we framed you as this climber, <laughs> indoors, out mostly indoors, a little bit outdoor climbing, but. Canada not conducive to uh, warm, fun, sunny outdoor climbing as no, much. Man, I can was be done, ready. Can be done. Can be found. Whew. So you you go on uh, a climbing trip, and that's. It sounds like maybe your first big sort of. well, Sounds like probably your first international thing. Yeah. Maybe so your first I. Big kind I of road trip at all.
0: Yeah. So I'd been to Asia once before for uh, Youth Worlds. Okay. Um, but we were with chaperones and we were like 15 and other people did everything for us. So what country was that in? Uh, we went to Thailand for a week Uh and then after that week in Thailand, we went to Singapore for the youth championships. Yeah. Um, but it's a bit of a different, uh, situation when you're 18 or 19 and out there all on your own. Right. Um, yeah. So it was me and a a friend of mine that i had grown up, Amy that i had grown up with sort of in the youth world, also 18 or 19. And uh, it was sort of her like dream. She sort of had picked out all these destinations that were famous for climbing in Southeast Asia, and invited me to come with her. And I had just f- survived my year in Edmonton, Alberta, the Great White North, minus forty winter, and I was like, rearing to get out of there. So I was yeah, pretty psyched. But yeah, the stuff just started going wrong for us, like right from the right from the get go. We got there one of our bags got lost was just left in Vancouver for a week so we didn't have any of our climbing stuff and we were stuck in this hostel that was like in the middle of this random rural city in China that uh-huh. we accidentally flew into cuz we booked it to the wrong place <laughs> which <laughs> was a story in its own but then we couldn't find food that wasn't like flattened street chicken on a stick which we were like we could eat that but if we do we will get sick instantly like right. that is like full Zero to a hundred. China food wise, that would have been bad. Um, so we lived off Cliff Bars for like four days or so, um, which Cleaned was you t- out. which is terrible. Is one of the most I remember just fiber. lying in our bunk beds, just like groaning, just weighing a hundred pounds from. Oh, man. Are you
1: sponsored by Cliff Bar now?
0: I'm not. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think
1: you just shot your sponsorship right I, there. You the know,
0: foot. I don't think I've eaten a Cliff Bar since that day, and yeah. I loved them up until right. then. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, then we finally got out of there to the actual climbing place. And it was just a series of <laughs> one of the crags we went to. I was, I was cleaning this like run out tufa route. It was like 12 C or something. And, uh, Amy had gone up first and she hadn't gone all the way to the anchors. So it wasn't, the rope wasn't even on through the anchors. And this policeman comes charging up to the rock and starts yelling at us, but he doesn't speak any English. So he just says, starts saying, hello, hello, hello. And pointing at the ground, telling us to get down from the climbs. Cause apparently it was illegal, which no one told us until we got there. We were with a pretty big group. And, uh, so we just decided not to listen to him and keep climbing. And our friend from Hong Kong told us, told me, he looked at me and I asked, we had like 18 draws up or something. So I was like, dude, can we like go get our gear or is he going to freak out? And he said, you can go get it, but don't do anything dramatic and don't fall. Otherwise, he'll lose his shit. So we, like, you know, I'm, like, 18. I'm trying to, this was, like, super run out. I'm already, like, not very confident on, on rock. And I get to the last draw that Amy had clipped, and I decided to, like, clean it by down climbing because I was pretty sure I was going to fall if I climbed past this draw. So I'm right. down climbing through run out tufas, and this policeman picks up a brick-sized rock and starts trying to throw it at me to get me off of this route. So I'm like down. It was like one of the most horrifying. Wow. Yeah. it was You're t- like, if I
1: fall, I'm going to jail.
0: I was like, this is, this is like, I want to go home right now. <laughs> I was like, I like, sure that I want story. to go home. <laughs> and he's just yelling at us in Mandarin. And all of our friends at that time, at that point, run over and start blocking him so that he can't like hit me with this rock. We finally get down and we ended up just running away through the bushes and, like, crawling under some fence to get out of there. And so that was terrible. And uh, and then we got to Vietnam, and the girl that I was with passed out in a museum and hit her face on a glass case on the way down. It was bleeding out of her head. And they told us she had a heart condition, so we had to be in the hospital for, like, 14 days or something insane in Vietnam. Your your partner?
1: the, the Yeah, the, woman, the, the girl I was Amy. with. Amy. Yeah, yeah. Whoa.
0: Yeah, so that was rad. Did she
1: have a heart condition? Nope. No. No. <laughs> Nope. I didn't think so.
0: Nothing. <laughs> but we were so sure she didn't after all of it. We got all the tests done. Right. And, uh, yeah, so that, and we had, they had told us before we left that uh, there was a slim chance we could get Japanese encephalitis, uh-huh. which is brain swelling that you get from mosquitoes. And we had only, we learned about it too late, so we only got the first dose right, of right. the vaccine. Yeah. And Basically, your brain swells until it hits the inside of your skull, and then you're basically dead before you don't before you have symptoms so it's like super serious but i remember i i overreacted a bit because we had just been thinking about that and talking about that and she passed out and hit the floor and i instantly was like thought is that's it she's dead what am i gonna do she's got a japanese encephalitis her brain just exploded like that was i was sure she was dead and they like called the ambulance loaded her into the back of this ambulance which in vietnam the back of the ambulance was just empty it was just a big empty truck they just load you into it, and uh, and then dr- and then drive away. And they usually they turn the lights on and the sirens, and you start moving through traffic. But it's still it's, just bumper to nobody, nobody moves. Right, nobody, so then the yeah. guy just gets bored and turns, turns the lights off. off. And anyway, so that was that was a hectic one for sure. <laughs> um, and then and then it was it was just sort of a series of of stories like that. Just like one thing, it was exhausting. One thing after the other. We were there for three months. Supposed to be on rock most of the time. We climbed for ten days uh-huh. in three months. Jeez, something like that. Because we then we got to Thailand, where we were for the most part of the majority of the time, and and we were sick for just like a, just aggressively ill <laughs> for for like an entire week. Couldn't leave the. We'd like crawl out of our bungalow down to the beach to get Gatorade or something right. so we didn't die. But um, then it was time for me to go home, and I was actually leaving. Amy by herself in Laos. She was staying on for another three months, which I will add went perfectly. As soon oh, really? as I was gone, she ha- went off without a hitch. She had a fantastic time. So, word of the wise: apparently, don't do climbing trips with me because things will happen. Yeah, you're, uh, you're,
1: you're born are a bad sign. But uh, Here, hold on. So
0: I was leaving Laos, and I wake up the morning of my flight. I woke up late somehow none, none of my alarms went off so i rushed to the this tuck tuck and i pay this guy way too much money to take him to the airport so he steps on we get to the airport i think i'm there in time i go up to the counter i check myself in i was supposed to have this insane flight path from laos to ho chi minh city in vietnam to beijing to vancouver and then back to calgary in alberta um, and i was supposed to have 20 hours in the ho chi minh airport because that was just the way the flights worked out, because they only flew out of this tiny Laotian airport like twice a week. And so I get there, and they asked me to see my Vietnamese visa, which I didn't have, because I was planning on just staying in the airport for the whole 20 hours. And um, so I said, I don't have one. I'm not leaving the airport. And they told me the airport closes at night, so you can't actually stay in the airport, because then when they kick you out of the airport and you don't have a visa, you get thrown in Vietnamese prison, and you're never heard from again. So... This is all going through my head, and I'm arguing with the guy. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to get home. Like, you gotta let me on this plane. <laughs> you don't know what's happening to me. You have no idea. Us. Like, please, I just, please, sir. I gotta get out of this country. Like, I, I mean, I was like desperate, and I'm arguing with him, arguing with him, and he looks at me straight in the eyes and he goes, I just don't want you to get shot. And I was like, <laughs> 18 at the time, excuse me, like by myself, sorry, what? And he goes, Vietnamese immigration, not nice. And so that, at that point, I was like, yo, okay. I mean I was like I don't know what I, I don't I know what, do? I don't know what right. to do here right. guy and he was like all right well if you sign this I'll let you on the flight so he turns this waiver over to me that basically I had to sign it. it says if I had to pay extreme amounts of money or if anything happens to me I won't sue the airline so right. I had to sign this waiver and so I was like you know I got to get home man so I signed this waiver got on the flight landed in Vietnam and hung out in the airport until about one in the morning when all the lights turned off. Mm-hmm. And then I hid behind a trash can for six hours, sitting in this airport, terrified <laughs> out of my mind, pitch black. Oh,
1: this is the, this is the worst climbing trip I've ever heard of in my life. Behind a trash life.
0: can by myself. I was like, <laughs> the, waiting lo- to get thrown in jail. Man, I was, I was so, st- <laughs> so stressed out. And all of my friends at home luckily were awake because it was daytime and Canada and so I was texting like if you don't hear from me every half hour like call the embassy like get somebody into Vietnam get me out of here and uh anyway finally lights came on again at like I don't even know what time it was right before my flight left for Beijing and I and I Sprinted to the gate and was like check me in, check me in, check me in, check me in, and he scanned my boarding pass. And I remember I got onto the airport, onto the plane, sat down in my seat, and just sobbed. Just was like, just like the happiest moment of my life for sure. Never been happier to land in China.
1: That is an awesome story. Yeah, I mean... Anything else? I mean, shit, you're not home yet. What else happened? There must have been something else. There
0: was just so many things. I got bit by a dog, and I thought I had rabies for a week. We had to, like, hunt down the dog owner.
1: Like, like, through the skin, bit by a dog? Like, I was bleeding, yeah. It
0: wasn't that bad, but, you know, in China.
1: Well, the fact that the dog had an owner was
0: a a positive. It was nice. I mean, I was, like, Googling, like, where is the closest rabies treatment in China. But So that was fine. We had some, we couldn't book a flight at one point because all of the websites were in China. And so we had this random dude do it for us on his phone and he gets to the website and he looks at us and he goes, passports and credit cards, please. So we just gave this, like, honestly, so honestly, it was terrible. It was a terrible trip. It was super stressful. Nothing went right. It was like heinous, but I just learned so much about like how to handle myself and how to be independent and sort of above else, like you just got to trust people. Like you just have to have faith that there are good people in the world that'll help you out that won't, you know, rob you blind because you're sure. giving them your passport and credit card. And, um, you know, there's bad people in the world too, but you, you know, you can get through a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's like people.
1: such a trial by fire in terms of travel. Like you, man, what's going to happen to you ever again. That's It's sort of interesting now. Yeah.
0: I like to be like, I can
1: just hide behind this garbage can. We'll be fine. Both of us, everybody behind the garbage can. (laughs) This will work out perfectly. It's
0: interesting now (laughs) traveling with team Canada and having these like young, because a lot of the people who are good in Canada right now are pretty young. So a lot of the people on our team are 16, 17, 18 years old and, and get stressed out when they're traveling, when they're flying. And you know, you know, what what if we miss our flight? I'm like, man, book another flight. Like it's going to be, it's going to be okay. So Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of traveling, we're good now. I've right. sort of covered all of the They're the crisis side. bases. Oh my God,
1: she's she's so wise. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, How old are you now? Three months. I am twenty three. Twenty
1: three. So this was only a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So have <laughs> you been uh, on a proper climbing trip since then? Besides traveling for comps?
0: Not really. No. no it's been it's you're been still, comp mode. Since still then.
1: got a little PTSD. I lingering. I do.
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. It, sometimes, yeah. For, for sure.
1: Just go to Europe.
0: Be climbing on a route, and I'll yeah. be like, where is the rock? Where is the brick? Somebody's going to start throwing They'll, that throw at me. that yeah. brick
1: at you. Well, that's cool, though. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, grace under pressure kind of thing. It's got to yeah. help you out. Like, at yeah, least yeah. no one's throwing a brick at me right yeah. now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, definitely. There's definitely... I mean, it's like... You know, it's the epitome of type two fun, I would say. Like it was horrible while it was happening, and then I got home and I was like, You'll never believe right these stories. I mean,
1: that was like some of the that was like ten minutes of the best podcasting I've done in a long time. Man. So that yeah. was a good I story. Mean, <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Who knew it would be worth it this many years later? Okay, so we land back here in uh, in Canada and that's when you are you reset and you're like, All right, I'm going to uh, back to school. Yes. And was that Back to my original question: Was that a conscious decision to to go to, to yeah. the city and 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 check out the West Coast?
0: Yeah, I mean that was sort of always the plan. Like right. I, and then I, I realized, I mean, living in Vancouver is super expensive. It's sort of a pretty well known fact. And so I was sort of similar to what you were saying. I was if I was going to be able to live there at any point, it would probably be when I was in school, and I could do right. it cheaply and live in a basement. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so I decided to apply to the University of British Columbia and. Uh, got in and, uh, yeah, been there ever since. And, uh, yeah, just graduated in April with okay. a kinesiology degree. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, um, in, in, in the meantime, you sort of double down on competition climbing mm-hmm. and, uh,
0: yeah. So I, my first year in Vancouver, I was sort of just climbing for fun, um, on my own, trying to get back into, back into the groove. I was, it was a little bit tough when I got back from that trip to like get psyched on climbing again i was sort of back into work mode and was happy to just be back in my regular groove and
1: well you probably lost a lot of weight and i mean in thailand i
0: did i really did (laughs) you're just like i am so ripped right now (laughs) came back looking like a pow it was insane another dog visitor there's dog everywhere um yeah so i went to school in september and I think I was there for a year when I was sort of just doing my own thing and and just climbing at the gym bunch climbing a lot but not really in a structured way and slowly got back into competition climbing and um, competed at my first open bouldering nationals that year and uh and then the second year I was there um I started working with the hive climbing gym in Vancouver um and I got coaching staff which was really nice so uh since then i've been working with christian core from italy he lives in squamish now he's the the guy that did Joya, and um he also was world champion world cup winner and in his own right when he was in his competition phase so it's been really cool to work with him because he brings so much knowledge to the table about both rock and uh and competition climbing and i feel very lucky to to know him and to get to work with him. And then I also am working with Jeff Thompson, whose background is in uh, gymnastics mostly, but he's really knowledgeable about high performance sport. So they make a really good team. Christian sort of brings the, the really hardcore rock climbing knowledge and Jeff brings the periodized training cycles and overall body awareness and um, competitive sport component to it. And yeah, I feel, I feel very fortunate to have found those two as a, as a coaching staff and I've been working with them for, Yeah three years now. So it's been good. It was a good, one of the best decisions I've made in a long time. I think moving to Vancouver, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, it's been great. And
1: talking about your coat, that coaching situation. I mean, so much I think has changed in competition climbing and how athletes are approaching it, even in since you started, yeah, I think a big even... sea change in approaching it, I think just way more athletically.
0: Absolutely. Like it's a, I mean, I, I don't know about everybody on the world cup circuit but i'd say there's a good a good amount of people who have like personal trainers now which i do too i've been working with this guy named peter out of vancouver and it's been really great for me but you know you got to be overall body fitness as well as climbing strong and i think it's sort of been cool for me jeff and christian we've been learning it's been a learning curve for us all together as a team which has been cool you know when christian was competing in climbing it was like how small of holds can you hold on a 45 degree overhang and then if you can hold the smallest ones, you win. Like there's all these pictures of him winning World Cups on just like the most heinous crimps. Right. And I mean, there's still crimps in the World Cup. Don't get me wrong. There's still hard climbing, but it's it's definitely different um, different now. And so it's it's been a bit of a learning curve, adapting and sort of um, working towards more full body awareness and and climbing with. Uh, yeah, it's almost like climbing and training with intention. Like mm-hmm. when you do when you do an exercise, when you do a move, you think about how this could be replicated in a competition boulder. Why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? And um, yeah, I find it uh, the best part has been putting more purpose into training um, as it pertains to competition climbing.
1: Right. So when we're looking at not just climbing, not just uh, as a sport, but I think this probably applies to all sort of sports, psychology, or even philosophy. Do you spend any time talking about discussing or even thinking about what are sort of the intangible i don't know i want to say almost like magic ingredients because you know you take two physical specimens two people uh both women both relatively strong both on paper seem to be the same person do you ever talk about like well what is the thing that kicks that champion up up the up the you know,
0: yeah. well, because it's
1: like the training, I feel like the physical training anyway, obviously only has, only goes, gets you so far.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, I think the mental component of, 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 competing is still the most lacking component for me. Like I, I, so we do, I mean, so the short answer is yes, we do yeah. talk about it a lot because it, it is a weakness of mine for sure. Just because it's hard. You're, I mean, you one of the ways you can look at the statement you just said is that there are a ton of people that have been doing exactly the same thing as me. Are as motivated, are as focused, and are as fit and capable. And it's easy to question, like, what, why do, why do I stand out? Why yeah. do I deserve to do better than these people? What makes me different? So it's sort, of, it's sort of hard to maintain that confidence going into a competition. And I honestly, I don't have the answer. I don't know. I think you sort of hit the nail on the head with the word intangible. There, it's what I will say is, you know, there's somebody like Yanya Garnbret's been absolutely lighting up the world cup circuit this year she's won every single boulder in competition so far and i mean honestly i think unless she injures herself or gets sick from the first four it looks like she will not lose like she is so above and beyond what other people are doing right now like it is unbelievable and it's not something you can put your finger on i mean she you watch these other girls who are the strongest in the world on these boulders and they make them you know they're falling they can't get to the zone they can get just past zone and she will come out and flash it and be done in 20 seconds Mm -hmm. and it just looks easy like it's i don't know i don't know if it's like she's just a mutant genetic anomaly i mean probably partially but uh i don't know i it's it's definitely interesting um, and I, yeah, I don't really know if I have an answer for you.
1: Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, there isn't one or else we'd both be millionaires. I
0: mean, yeah. Well, I mean, let's work like on a, that. Yeah, it's not like a
1: <laughs> magic elixir, or just like, do this, you know, let your mind be free. I mean, some cliche crap like that. But uh, it, it's just, I'm not a terribly uh, competitive person. You know, it, you started by saying that, and it's it's super important. But at the same time, I'm an observer and I watch and I and I wonder. And I, and I wonder about the outdoor climbing, too, because there's, you know, there's these people who just rise above and you're like, gosh, yeah, they're really strong. But so is that dude and so is that dude or so is that girl and so is that girl. It
0: seems like there's this, this kind of
1: fascinating. to, to Yeah, just sort of, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it seems like with all these high performance athletes, it seems like there's this inherent internal turmoil, I guess, which is sort of you're in competition with yourself. So you're mm-hmm, always... Mm-hmm thinking, how could I be better? How could I be better? Why aren't I good at this? Why aren't I good at this? And it can get pretty like it can be get pretty dark sometimes when you're in this like training cycle and you're always inside and you're just grinding day after day and you haven't seen the results and you're getting injured and you're feeling like your shoulders hurting and everything's going not your way. And it's it's like it's really hard to push through. And I think some of the most successful people are able to use that to their advantage in training. And in their training cycles and use that to drive them, but then are able to turn it off when they're in competitions right. and be able to step onto that mat and look at a boulder and be like, I am the best. I can absolutely do this boulder. I'm going to get to the top, do whatever it takes. I'm strong enough, smart enough. I've trained for this. It's going to happen right now and can just flip that switch like that. It seems like that is key. And I am nowhere near good at that yet, but that is, that's what I'm working towards. Well, what do you,
1: so you're saying these like it can get dark and blah, blah, blah. From experience, clearly. Because the way you said it. Right now we're sitting here, we're having a good time, we're laughing, we're chatting. So I don't and I don't know you, so I don't know what that looks like in you. But what at this point, where what do you turn to when that's going on? I mean, do you have your own personal at least a few building blocks put in place to say, oh, A, how do you recognize it in yourself and B you know, do you have some places to turn to? And Yeah,
0: I mean, I think I think anybody who works where I train at the Hive in Vancouver will attest that they've seen it before where you sort of get into this dark downward spiral of um, uncertainty, I would say. You, you know, you can't do a boulder and you start thinking, oh, I can't do this boulder. What boulder won't I be able to do at the World Cup? If I can't do this, it's not going to go well. Like, or, you know, you're standing and right. saying so-and-so would be able right. to do this. Why can't I do it? They're going to beat me. And then it just like, this like internal dialogue just slowly swirls into, and I usually leave the gym. I usually like for not forever, but I usually have to leave for 10 or 15 minutes and walk around outside and reassess and put things back into perspective and say, you know, there's no trash cans around. You're not hiding in Vietnam.
1: right?
0: You know, life's pretty good. Not going to get shot. You can keep training. And then you walk back in the gym and
1: are able to reset. But
0: yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Does it
1: ever get bigger than that? Like, it affects your other parts of your life.
0: I don't know if I've consciously thought about that before. I probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's almost hard when you're when you're training so much to have have other facets of life. Like, right. It's sort of one of the reasons I you know I studied sport uh, sport in university, and it's one of the reasons that athletes struggle when they retire from sport is because it's oh, your entire identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. If any, if there's any athletes out there listening, and you have a quick fix to,
1: yeah, like I said, we'd we'd be.
0: Please let us know.
1: Yeah, we'd have a billion million dollar coaching program. We'll
0: steal the idea from you. Yeah. yeah.
1: So so right now, are, are is the Olympics in 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 your life?
0: Yes and no. Okay. Twenty twenty, no. Okay. For sure. I uh I, I got injured um, at the beginning of this year at our open nationals. So I uh, had to pull out of finals in the middle of it. I twisted my ankle and my knee and everybody thought it sort of just wasn't worth it to risk making it worse. Um, And then after I injured my ankle and my knee, I sort of started only doing upper body training. And then I injured my shoulder because I was only doing upper body training. Okay. And then...
1: I decided to obsessiveness. I only
0: decided yep. to only use small, do a lot of hangboarding and only use small holds, and yeah, then I injured my finger. Dry. Okay. Uh, so at that point, I was like, "All right, you should probably take a little bit of a rest." But uh, I did not have time, so I went to the World Cups instead, and in China, and here we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, those injuries it made it really hard to train for speed climbing in particular, mm-hmm. um, and I was already behind in it. I haven't been doing it like the U.S. guys have so I would have been behind anyway and it just didn't really make sense anymore. I was trying to be realistic in terms of the season, but you know, it's on the docket for 2024 and they've proposed to separate speed climbing out from bouldering and lead. So
1: (laughs) after all the bitching,
0: yeah, you you never know at that point. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Sometimes bitching works. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I I don't really, we don't really need to get into it, but obviously that was a big kind of like, wait, what? When they said, okay, everybody has to speed climb. Mm -hmm. um,
0: I think, I mean, honestly, like it, it sucks that boulders and lead climbers have to speed climb for sure. But I actually think it's the most unfortunate for actual speed climbers. Mm-hmm. Um, the the yeah, boulders they... and lead climbers are better at the other two because they're, you know, they're better at two thirds of it. And they're getting fast at speed climbing, too. But, uh, you know, I would assume that the top those 20 athletes that are going to be at the Olympics will not be the fastest ones.
1: So. No, I mean, the speed climbers are so specialized that yeah. they are going they can't. Yeah, they so, can't compete yeah. in the other ones. Yeah. So these these guys like uh, that the Iranian guy,
0: yeah, Reza. Yeah, Reza, yeah, Reza. Like,
1: I mean, he's he's clearly the best speed climber by a mile. Absolutely, while. He's, yeah, he's out of his out yeah. of luck.
0: No, I'm I'm yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm excited for them for 2024 to have their own their own thing because say what you want about speed climbing, like those guys are su- super impressive. Yeah, like I mean, it is unbelievable the things they're doing, and I think it's unfortunate that that won't get showcased at. 2020 in the way that it should be, but hopefully it will be in yeah, 2024. Yeah, that's true. I
1: didn't. even That's a really good point.
0: Like I mean, I I think the the spe- the climbers at 2020 will probably be at least a couple seconds slower. Than, oh yeah,
1: for sure. Because, than the the yeah. fastest guys because they're also. I mean, you can kind of like I said, it's all at that when it, when that happened, you know, when it was announced like that, then it all became strategy. And I think for the top bouldering and. Lead climbing people, they are just looking at, well, how fast, you know, do I have to get to compete with the, uh, these other people that I'm always competing with anyway? Yeah, and it, so, so they're not thinking like, I need to be the fastest in the world, which when you think about sport in general, that's a real shame. Absolutely. You've got these people who are st- strategizing how they don't actually be, have to Absolutely. be as fast as they really need
0: Absolutely. to be. And I mean, you'll look at, people look at results now of Speed World Cup's. And they look at the results, but what they're looking at more is who was the top combined person who yeah. does other. So they look right. at the you know they go through the top twelve or fifteen or twenty or whatever it is, and then they then then you start looking at who are the boulders, who are the lead climbers, who's best ranked in those people, and you know the top of the list doesn't get neglected. I would say you know people still appreciate right. when people are fast, but more and more of the attention is drawn towards the combined people and how well they're doing in speed.
1: Yeah. Cause then, I mean, and hopefully the consideration for 2024, I just made a joke. It was cause everybody was complaining, but not, that's just in our purview because we're here in the U S and Canada yeah. and Europe. We're absolutely. Kind of thing. so hopefully the decision to switch them to individuals is based on that. I mean, maybe they have absolutely. now have a realization of like, wow, we just kind of blew it for these this group of people. Yeah, no, for sure. So yeah. maybe they're also bitching in their own way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so. I mean I, I do think speed climbers in the climbing in the competition climbing world can are, are a little bit of oddballs for sure, but right. it's it is yeah, like I said, I think it is well, certain, a waste certain that certain they won't be seen or not. Yeah. It's no, really, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Elsewhere. No,
1: for sure. It's just kind of that ethnocentric perspective of what, how we approach things here.
0: Absolutely. It's easy yeah. to it's easy yeah, to get that sure. that skewed for sure living right, in North America. Right, right. Yeah.
1: So what what is your sort of path then of the next couple of years in terms of um, yeah, I mean, what your climbing looks like and and, and where you're headed?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still super psyched on competitions. I, I like both bouldering and lead competitions mm-hmm. in their own rights. I think they balance each other out pretty nicely, too. The training's different, um, keeps things interesting. So um, mostly just psyched like to try to see how well I can do in those bouldering and lead competitions and get outside more. I mean, I live super close to Squamish and I do not get up there as much as I should just because I'm in the gym all the time, but I was able to get out there for a couple days bouldering um, a couple months ago and had some really good days. So I think that's promising for what can be accomplished in the future. And yeah, so hopefully doing a little bit of
1: it all. I mean, do you have a, I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm, this is almost rhetorical because I know the answer. Like anytime you're splitting your time, if does it feel like, well, I'm cheating. I'm cheating myself. Cause I sh- really should be specifically training in the gym. As you go outside, do you have any of those problems?
0: I, I mean, I do uh, for right. sure. And I, I, I think I almost have them too much. Like right. I, like I said, like I, I seriously do think I have it like an obsessive. I mean, again, it's, worked well for me because i'm still in it but it is an obsessive
1: obsessive exactly not just like turning doorknobs and walking 12 steps every time you walk out the door but yeah
0: but (laughs) but you know there are world cup athletes who climb outside all the time and then go and tear it up in competitions too and um yeah i just have i don't know i just have a hard time in my brain being able to justify Mm -hmm. that i don't know i feel like i especially cuz I spend most of my time and money on competitions I want to do everything I possibly can to be in the best shape I can be for those events and unfortunately a lot of times that means you just got to be single minded in right. the gym.
1: Well I mean it, you said you just said oh there are these these athletes that you know go climb outside and then turn up in competitions. I almost feel like if if, if things keep going and the olympic to really be even bigger deal than it is. You'll say in ten years, people will say there used to be athletes that would go outside and still turn. Ch- I agree comps. with you, hundred percent. It, it, you know, he, you know, our, we've lost for the next two years any any sort of thrill of watching Adam Andra climb outside. He's he's, you know, basically I'm going to do this mm-hmm. for two years. So, I mean, yeah, it's still working, but it's almost like those people are a bit grandfathered in at this point. Oh I, yeah, I for sure. Like, so. Yeah,
0: for sure. And even like even Adam, he you know did do as well as people were expecting him to do last weekend in china it's like a testament to the depth of the field and yeah you know for sure you'd have an off day for one second and Uh it's
1: devastating results Mm -hmm. wise what's uh, yanya that's her name Mm -hmm. right her training probably looks the same just indoors at this point.
0: yeah i would i mean she's a good
1: outdoor climber i believe i've seen i mean she she sent some
0: hard stuff i don't know it off the top of my head i would probably misquote her but I don't think she's tried anything for more than a few days. Like it's right. not like she has hardest sense that she's worked on. Like she just waiting. rolled up to the cray and was like, yeah. I'll just do 9A, it's cool, and then just went back to her training. Yeah. So and I think I think it's interesting pe- people talk about maybe talk about her in the sense that, you know, oh, she hasn't sent the hardest thing, so she maybe she's not the best female climber. But I have no doubt that if Yanya decides to retire from competition climbing and actually dedicate her time to the rock like mm. it's going to be unreasonable
1: what she's right. going to start doing no it's just like yeah yeah she's the potential you just haven't realized it yet exactly. she's not 50 years old and looking yeah. back at exactly
0: some, yeah, yeah
1: and she's going to retire from the competition someday because that you have to absolutely yeah.
0: yeah 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 so, so look out look outdoor out. world when yeah, that happens
1: it's all silly um just conjecture at some point she's obviously i mean she's clearly an incredibly talented mm-hmm. lover, and, Yeah. Uh, and whatever attitude she brings to just.
0: Yeah. It, I feel, I feel very, just do it yeah, feel very lucky to even be competing in the same era as right, her because right. it's, it really, it truly is unbelievable. Like, you know, I was talking to Charlie Boscow, the commentator for the IFSC um, the other week. And, you know, he was saying he feels like some people are getting sick of her winning. And both of us agreed that, you know, neither of us are. Like, I'm. Right. I'm excited to see how far she can go. Like, how many competitions in a row is she going to win? How you know, how dominant is she actually going to become? Because so far this season, it's been unreal.
1: Right. Yeah. Does do you think other other people get down about that?
0: Probably. Yeah. yeah.
1: Just getting your ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your comp after comp, it can be a bit demoralizing. I mean,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, for someone like Akio uh, Noguchi from Japan, like mm. she's coming second every time. Right. That's, so, ugh. like probably is not that fun for her Yeah, but
1: again like that's just the nature of individual sport mm-hmm. i mean every every sport has these eras where you're you're behind the same bolt yeah and that's just you got you're like you got he's hosed. yeah
0: bummer dude yeah, yeah. or you know,
1: whoever it happens to be it's yeah. like you got hosed that that yeah. was also the peak yeah. of your time yeah.
0: you're fighting for second sorry yeah. Yeah. so i
1: don't know i mean not to count out what, what was her name akio yeah not to count her out but it just happens sometimes, you know? So, so right now, you know, this is a career. Mm-hmm. And there's, there, you know, in terms of a career path that's working for you at the moment?
0: I mean, more or less, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like, I definitely, I will be working, I'm working for Judo BC this summer doing some sport admin stuff. Okay. Um, to be able to supplement, being able to travel. But, you know, you got to sort of do things on the side. But it is, yeah, climbing is the the main the main gig right now for sure and yeah it feels awesome to to be here and i mean this summit even we're here for the black diamond athlete athlete summit and the crew of people is like unreal yeah, like it's, it's like very now. it is so humbling to be here and to hear these guys talk about gear and climbing and whatever trips they're doing and you know the skiers the runners people i've looked up to for forever like to be like up here is it honestly it's insane and we you know we heard from a couple of the founders of bd yesterday that gave us a bit of a a talk about the history of the company and they sort of passed it on and said you know this generation of innovation now passes on to you guys and it was like whoa (laughs) like to me like it's a bit of a (laughs) bit of a bit of a shocker there but no it's it's exciting and yeah i'm yeah i feel very lucky and honored to be here for sure
1: All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Allison for kicking it in the parking lot and getting this thing done before she ran off to uh, kick some ass up in Canada. Yeah, and I'm off to OR next week, Outdoor Retailer Trade Show in Denver, Colorado. Got a bunch of stuff lined up, a bunch of interviews lined up that you guys will get to hear in the coming months. Some cool stuff, some kind of surprising stuff. But I got to say, I miss, I miss the trade show being in Salt Lake City guys probably aren't privy to as much of the politics of all that as we are in the quote unquote industry, but uh, they moved it from Salt Lake to Denver in protest of Utah's treatment of public lands or non-treatment. We're basically trying to get rid of them. And uh, But I miss Salt Lake. The very roots of this podcast are definitely tied to luring unsuspecting climbers to crummy hotel rooms in Salt Lake City. But in Denver, there are no crummy hotels nearby, so I got to get a nice hotel, which doesn't kill me, but certainly digs into the funds here at the Enormacast. A bit of the mystique is gone as well, you know, luring sweet little page cloths into a, a dingy hotel room. Just has sort of a certain vibe to it. And the other thing that's coming up in a couple of weeks is, of course, the International Climbers Festival up in Lander. Definitely heading up there and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing some of you folks up there. So please, if you see myself and or the entourage, uh, come up and say hi. All right, folks, I'm going climbing this weekend. You know, I'm going to be checking my knot, but I was just chatting with uh, Malcolm Daly, uh, who's going to come on the show soon. And he pointed out that, you know, people's tie-in knot coming undone is not nearly as common of an accident as lowering somebody off the rope because there's not a knot in the end of the rope. Or, viciously, the most horrible accident of all, perhaps, is rappelling off the end of your rope. So, when you're checking your knots, put those on the list. Your sport climbing, doesn't matter. You're climbing in the gym, doesn't matter. Put the knot in the end of the rope. Can't hurt. It can't hurt. And, of course, put knots on the end of your rappel lines as well. All right. Just be safe out there, please check your knots, plural. Edmonton is a bustling metropolis and a center for festivals, culture, and business. It's known for its friendly people and being the gateway to the north for the oil and mining industries. Set along the North Saskatchewan River and its beautiful river valleys, you'll find Alberta's capital city.